Today we're going to chat a bit about faith and politics, and, and this could be a several-week conversation. We're just taking one week, all right? So there's, uh, for some of you, I'm not going to go far enough in the discussion, and for some of you, I'm, I'm going to go too far. And so uh, several of you had told, told me that you're going to be praying for me this morning. Uh, someone else told me, like, I'm not clapping, I'm not amening at any point. <laughs> just, you know who you are. Uh, and I... And I but I love that, like, because I, you know, it's politics. We, uh, we are incredibly uh, divided, and much is at, at stake. And, and so uh, one, a book I would, I would recommend uh, is a book called Body Broken. It's, it's about the body of Christ broken over politics and what that means. And, and so in the book, uh, Charles Drew, so if you just search Body Broken on Amazon, it's not very popular. It won't come up. So if, if you wanted a book, it's not very long, about 130 pages. And the whole time you're like, well, should I be a Republican or Democrat? The whole time, he doesn't go there, uh, but talks to both sides uh, from what I think is a very healthy standpoint. But much is at stake. I mean, if the crucified and risen Messiah cannot hold Democrats and Republicans together under the same roof, if he cannot enable us to work through our differences, then he is not much of a savior. And he certainly isn't the savior of the world. Amen? You can amen on that one. All right. Uh, and there, there is, I mean, if you're awake, you know there is a, a building hostility in our country. Four out of five voters believe that the, the incivility in our politics is going to lead to violence, and we've seen it in recent days. Have we not? We, we saw uh, 14 uh, Democrat leaders received uh, bombs in the mail. And then uh, last year at the, uh, so every year the Republicans and Democrats uh, in Congress, they play baseball games, a fundraiser. And during the Republican practice, uh, a guy got out and shot off 70 rounds, critically injuring uh, one of the congressmen. Uh, last week, we had the worst anti-Semitic attack in our nation's history on our own soil as 11 uh, Jewish people were killed while they were worshiping. And and they're mostly seniors. Like, if you looked at the ages of them, I mean, this, these were not people who could defend themselves. And, and so each side, right, is pointing fingers and blaming, like, you, you guys are the ones who are lying. You're the ones who are causing violence. And the other side, it's not us. It's, it's you guys. And so they're, they're going, going back and forth. And uh, if, am I on on that? Am I right on on that? So far, am I dissecting the, the situation? I, I like what, what one guy said. He said, we've reached the point where the comments section of major newspapers, they go online, the comments sections, are a greater testament to the depravity of man than all the theology of the reformers put together. Like you can just see it right there in the way that we dialogue and the way that we discourse, discourse with, with one another. And uh, is anyone familiar with, it's called Godwin's Law? Godwin's Law? Well, you'll, under, you'll, you'll know it when I, when I say it though. Godwin's Law says, as an online discussion grows longer, the probability of a comparison involving Hitler approaches. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't matter. I mean, it's not, not just politics. You could, it could be sports. You could be talking about the Broncos, and all of a sudden, the longer the discussion goes, someone's going to, you know, start making the personal accusations. And, uh, and I try, and I've mentioned before, like on Facebook, I try not to, I mean, I try to stay apolitical. And I try not to get into dialogue back and forth. And I was on a private page of just pastors. And, and someone, just a very innocent question, posted on there, what do you think or what do you teach about this? Something from Scripture, not politics at all. And I, it was kind of like a survey, and I was like, well, that, that, that. It was one sentence. 
Well, in the course of three more posts, I was accused of robbing God and robbing you. Not because of the way we handle money, but because of the... uh, because they disagreed with the way that I, I saw Scripture. And, and so I was like, I didn't know I was getting into a debate, first of all. Um, and I didn't know I was a thief. And so that, but that's how the dialogue goes. Like the longer we go in, this, in the discourse online, like the worse, the worse it gets. And um, now, I mean, there is no civil discourse on any topic. I mean, we have become a nation of outrage. Everything outrages us and pointing fingers. And, and this is in spite of the fact that compared uh, to most or to a lot of countries around the world, things are pretty good in America right now. I mean, you talk to some believers in, in places where there's, there's no freedom of speech. Like, we have freedom of speech. I can say whatever I want this morning. I'm not getting arrested, right? Now, there's consequences to our speech. Like, you can say what you want, but I ain't coming back. All right. <laughs> Fair enough. But I have the freedom to say it right? Um, there, there are opportunities, and, and I understand there, there are definitely inequalities and injustice in our country that we've got to work on. Um, but if, if you, your household makes uh, $32,000 a year, you are a one percenter in the global economy. You are, and, and so, and if, if while things are seemingly pretty good for our country, we're at such odds with one another, what happens when there is a major crisis in our country? What happens when the stock market tanks again? What happens when the, the job rate starts to go up? Like, if we are already at each other's necks, God help us if things go bad, if we end up in an, another international crisis and everything is polarized, there is no middle ground, and, and so, and all we do is label, like, aren't you Republican? Aren't you liberal? Aren't you a, a millennial? Aren't you a Calvinist? Aren't you a, a capitalist? Aren't you a socialist? Um, Aren't you, I've got some other ones here. Aren't you Team Ford? Aren't you Team Kavanaugh? And depending on how you answer that question to me, I can tell just about everything about you. I could probably even answer if you love Jesus. That's how we treat one another, is it not? We have, we have it's just everything's binary. It's one or the other, and if, if you take this position over here, then we put all these other things on you about that particular tribe that we don't like. We haven't fun yet? All right. Um, now, the church, unfortunately, isn't much different. In a, um, a recent poll, more than half say that I prefer to attend church where people share my political views. Like, I understand that. I mean, we are so polarized that at least let me come to church on Sunday, sit by somebody who I agree with. And so that's kind of the, the idea. I think I've got a, a slide for that. That graph, yeah. So I prefer to attend. 46 agree, 6% agree, 12% not sure, 12% disagree. But we have, we have a tendency to go along with what our tribe is saying more than what like individual, like individual issues. And following what is true and what is right will lead you to betray many of our tribal labels on both sides of the aisle. Um, so, um, I'm going to have a little, take a little quiz this morning, a little political quiz. This is going to be fun, all right? You're like, this is not fun, Matthew, not, not at all. Um, but we, we have a tendency that our, our ideas are shaped more by the tribes we identify with than the facts we sift through. And this is not something new. 
this, um, back in the 50s, a psychologist, he did a little test and took college students and let them watch a football game. And to call out and against the rival team to see how many penalties there were on each of the teams. And what they found was uh, the predictor of their judgments was not the clarity of the, the offense or the penalty. It was the school they attended, right? You, you know that when you're watching sports with, with somebody and you've you got a rival fan there like, I didn't see a foul, nothing. <laughs> like that was clearly a foul, you know. Um, but that's what we do even, even when it comes to, to politics. And um, so, so on these next questions are going to be a rhetorical. <laughs> Please hold your opinions. But what if... What if I asked you what you thought about a president who built relationships with a communist leader in order to, uh, to like, bridge, bridge the divide there? Um, in fact, I have a, a quote from one, one president. We'll put it up there. These 50 years have shown that isolation has not worked. So just in your mind, would you be for a president who is building relations with a communist leader? So whether you answered yes or no, um, did you agree with President Obama when he reestablished relations with Cuba? With Raul Castro. I said no answering. No, just kidding. Uh, Raul Castro. Did you agree with President Trump when he reestablished relations with North Korea? Like, Matthew, it's not the same. There's not one. Okay, there's some differences. But just kind of like, did you like it under one and not under the other? And oh, this is about to get real fun. All right. <laughs> what about... Keep praying for me. Keep praying for me. We're going to make it through it. What about Social Security? See, here's a quote on Social Security. Every Republican wants to do a number on Social Security. Uh, they want to do it on Medicare. Uh, they want to do it on Medicaid. And we can't do that. And it's not fair to the people who have been paying in for years. And so if you're like, I'm for Medicaid, I'm for Social Security, for Medicare, Medicaid, uh, then you agree with President Trump. Oh, all right. Uh, what about... Uh, Immigration, uh, and again, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just showing the quotes, all right? This is for self-reflection. Uh, here's, here's one on, on immigration. We simply cannot allow people to pour into the United States undetected, undocumented, unchecked, circumventing the line of people who are waiting patiently, dil diligently, and lawfully to become immigrants into this country. So this is specifically illegal immigration or undocumented immigration, depends on what side of the aisle you sit on, what you call the, the term. Um, if you agree with this statement, then you agree with President Obama. This was a statement that President Obama made. Uh, now, what about amnesty? You're like, we have 15 to 22 million undocumented illegal immigrants in our country. Uh, here's one. I believe in the idea of amnesty for those who put down roots and lived here, even though some time back they have made, may have entered illegally. That's President Ronald Reagan, the golden child of conservatives everywhere. Um, he was for amnesty. And right now you might be thinking, oh, Matthew, you just mind juke me. Like that is not what I was, just a couple more and then we're moving on. Uh, so trade, tariffs, that's been in the news the last six months. Uh, and and here's, here's the quote. During the debate over NAFTA, President Clinton said, I believe that NAFTA will create a million jobs in the first five years of its impact. Wrong. According to the economy, Economic Policy Institute, NAFTA has led the loss of more than 680,000 U.S. jobs. I'm against NAFTA and other bad trade agreements. So if you agree with that statement, do you agree with Bernie Sanders? Hmm. All right. And one final one. One final one. 
and then we're done with, I don't think I'm ever doing this again. (laughs) I believe that together we can make America great again. Uh, So (laughs) this is uh, President Bill Clinton. And and politicians have used this. Uh, President Reagan said this. Others have said it. Of course, it's taken under different connotations in the last couple of years. But what's, what's the point? Is that so often we like or dislike not what is being said, but who said it. Are they part of my team? Are they part of my tribe? And even when there is a, a terrorist attack, what is one of our first thoughts? Like maybe I'm just, maybe I'm alone in this, but one of the first thoughts is, I hope they're not on my side. Because what does that do? If they're not on my side, then that validates my claim that it's the other side that's violent and hate-mongering and creating the discord. But if they're on my side, well, I'm, I can come up with some excuses, I'm sure. Um, so, so here's the challenge. How can serious-minded Republicans, Democrats, independents, how can we worship together under the same roof? in this climate where we find ourselves. So the challenge is, whether you're a believer or not, and this is more for Christians, as you'll see, but is my challenge for you this political season is to put your faith in front of your politics. We're going to unpack that just a little bit. Um, put your faith before your politics. Make your faith your filter up front and your political filter up front. And, and be a Christ follower first. Be a Democrat second. Be a Christ follower first. Be a Republican second. Be a Christ follower first. Be an independent second. Our first identity is always in Christ. Um, and at the end of the day, you know that you're more, you're, your faith is more important than your politics. Because no one ever died and went to Washington, D.C. <laughs> are, are you with me? And so just that fact alone is reason enough to put your faith first. There are things that, that happen in our lives that make our political persuasion unimportant. Like when, when the, the, the bad times come, if maybe you walk through somebody who is in the hospital or seeking treatment, no one has ever said, hey, Matthew, can you break out that Constitution? Can you read some pages from the Constitution? I mean, that would really, really minister to me right now. Because we know there, there are things that are, are more important than politics. There are more, our, our faith, and so we put our, our faith in front of our politics and now, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that politics aren't important or that, uh, that you shouldn't have a, a very strong opinion or I'm not saying that we should all agree and like just come together and sing Kumbaya. Anyone ever grew up singing that around the campfire? Kumbaya, my Lord, Kumbaya. Yeah, that's not what we're doing. Uh, I, am not, I am not suggesting that you should vote for a particular party or candidate, what I am encouraging you to do is to put your faith before your politics. And you're thinking, Matthew, I'm so glad you mentioned this, because that's exactly what I do. And if I were to ask, like take a survey, like do you put your faith before your politics? You would probably say, Matthew, the reason I vote the way I do is because I am a Democrat. <laughs> I'm, and, and I love Jesus. The reason I, I vote Republican is because I love Jesus. That's exactly, and so I'm so glad there are people in this room that need to hear what you are saying today. In fact, turn to the person next to you and say, you need to hear this. Go ahead. You need to, this is for you. You need to hear this. Uh, now, if, if you're a Republican, of course you've got your faith first because God is always right. 
Stick with me. Hold, hold with me. We'll get there. Uh, <laughs> Jesus, Jesus, was Jesus ever wrong? No, he was right. Right. So Jesus was right. And plus, he, he, he called the tax collector to be his disciple. And the tax collector, what's another word for tax collector? Publican. <laughs> Republican. Work. That's a stretch. Okay. But you're like, no, no, he was a tax collector. He was definitely a Democrat. Um, now, if you're a Democrat, you're thinking, are you kidding me? Jesus was a healthcare dispensing machine. <laughs> like, everywhere Jesus went, giving out free healthcare. Like, people lined up, <laughs> never turned people away. Obviously, a Democrat. And, and he always had something to say about the rich, didn't he? Like, something about, you're so rich, you're going to poke yourself in the eye uh, with a needle. You can look it up. It's in there. Uh, and then, I mean, he, he gave away food at least on two occasions without charging for it. And, and how did Jesus come riding into Jerusalem? <laughs> on a donkey, not an elephant. So Jesus was obviously a Democrat. Now, if you're a libertarian, you're like, whoa, 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 Matthew, Matthew, Matthew. Uh, what, I mean, the, the most popular verse in Scripture John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. The second most popular, especially this time of year, at least in the top five, is you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. Liberty, libertarian <laughs> party. I mean, uh, at one point, Paul writes to a church, he writes to some Christians in um, the book of Thessalonians, and he told them what to do, two things, work with your own hands and mind your own business. Jesus was obviously libertarian. Have I offended everybody? <laughs> Let's have the altar call. <laughs> when it comes to putting your faith before your politics, it's not just enough to say Bible first, politics second. Uh, that doesn't work because no matter where you stand politically, you can find something in the Bible to support your position. It's not even enough to say Jesus first, politics second. Because you can find Jesus saying different things and getting them on your side. So we, we all want Jesus on our side. Jesus didn't come to take sides. He came to take over. He came to take over our lives. And he called both, amen, amen. He called both the zealots, he had a disciple who was called Simon the Zealot. Now, the Zealots, they were the far right wing. Like, let's kick the Romans out. They're a, a foreign occupying force. And we will, we will kill even Jews if we have to who stand in our way. Right wing uh, all the way. He also had Roman uh, sympathizers, the tax collectors we already mentioned, would be the left wing, followed Jesus. Uh, and Jesus came for both. Jesus called both, and Jesus transformed both. He had something to say to both sides, those who were right-wing, those who were left-wing. And so uh, simply putting Jesus before politics isn't enough. And so that was my original challenge, but, and we should strive to do that, but it's insufficient. So where does that leave us? Where does that leave us? Uh, what, what, did, what did Jesus do? Like that sounds like a Sunday school kind of answer. What would Jesus do? But what did Jesus do? How did he go about his life? And, um, and this isn't complicated, and you don't need a, a degree. You don't even have to write this down. It, it's so simple, but it's so convicting, and, and it's trans, transformational, is the way you keep your faith in front of your politics is by putting 
people first and politics second. Put people first, put politics second. And Jesus was always putting people first. And this is one of the lessons you first learn in church, like in children's church. Jesus was putting people first. And, and this is where we can have common ground as citizens, as believers, and, and we can disagree, which we should and we will disagree on what's best for people. But we cannot and we dare not disagree that what's best for people is what is best. What's best for people is what is best. And so name any bill, any policy, anything we're debating as a nation, we can debate about what's best for people. But we cannot debate that what's best for people is what's best. And including the person we disagree with, they are more important than, than their disagreement. Amen? Like the person who has a different view, they are more important than the disagreement. The problem is, I think the struggle is that we no longer distinguish moral principle from practical strategy. Moral principle from uh, political strategy. And we assume if someone's political strategy is different, then they must be morally deficient. Between strategy and value and principle. So if strategy is different then obviously they're, they're on a low ground morally is, is the way we currently treat people. And the result is that we vilify and we pigeonhole. And all throughout the Gospels, all throughout uh, the biographies of Jesus, we see that Jesus is concerned about what was best for people. I mean, in John 3, 16, we're just going back to basics today. For God so loved the world. For God so loved people. For God so loved you. For God so loved me, for God so loved the Republican, for God so loved the Democrat, for God so loved the Independent, that he gave his one and only son. Um, and so uh, one day, there were some people that came to Jesus, and Jesus had been teaching for a while, and they wanted to know what Jesus thought was the most important thing. Like, and Jesus' response to them was not to say that other things weren't important, but what is Jesus, what is the most important thing about everything you're teaching? When we look at the, the Old Testament and the prophets, what is the most important? In Matthew 22, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. But before they could even breathe, before they could even take a breath, Jesus goes on. Because uh, there's a lot of wiggle room so far. Like, you can say you love Jesus with all your heart, and how can I argue against that? Like, if I say, yeah, I love Jesus with all my heart, you know, there's a lot of wiggle room there. Like, what does that look, look like? And so Jesus knew that, and so he, he gave it a little uh, practical and added to that a little bit. And he said, the second is like it. I'm not finished. The, the most important thing to do is love God with all your heart. Uh, the second is like it. The second is equivalent to the first. It's on the, the same level. It's just as important as loving God. And everyone has heard this. You may not have known that, that Jesus said this, but he said, love your neighbor as yourself. So, because loving God is an internal type of emotion, reality. Loving your neighbor, that's external. That's external. By the way we love people, by the way we treat people, including those who vote differently than we do, we can debate what's, debate what's best for people. I mean, we have, sometimes we just have different views on what's best for people. Like, is it small government, less regulation? Or is it uh, bigger government? Uh, more regulation, like how, how do we keep things equal? And, um, and so sometimes, a lot of times, we're not going to agree, but we can love 
our neighbor as ourselves. And then Jesus goes on to say, all the law, all the Old Testament, everything the prophet said can be summed up in this. They're contingent. They, they hinge upon, they hang on these two commandments. If, so Jesus is saying, if you forget everything else, like if you leave this place today and everything else I say you forget, love God, love your neighbor, regardless of what political sign they have in front of their yard. Love your neighbor. Um, now this is, this is pretty simple, basic stuff, but we've forgotten. We have forgotten. Because um, our, our behavior, it makes perfect sense to us. Like the reason we act the way we do, the, w- the reason we vote the way we do, um, but it also makes perfect sense to our neighbor, a person who thinks differently than we do. And, um, and so, like when we don't understand why they voted for that person or um, like when you don't know how someone could do such a thing, it's because there is something you don't know. Like when you, when you see that bumper sticker for the other party and um, like sometimes our first response is, moron, right? Like I wonder if I just did a little quick, like how that would... I'm not, I'm not a saint yet, okay? Don't work with me. Uh, like, so that, that first, am I the only one? Like, maybe we could just pull over to the side and we could have a conversation. Like, I could educate them because obviously they don't know something. But really, it's I don't know something. Like, I don't know their story. I don't know how they got to the point. All I'm seeing is the end of the conversation, all right, there's been a whole buildup of, of life experiences and education and interactions with the government. Or, um, and all I get is the last, this is how I voted. And we don't understand the foundation for, for how they got there. And so how can we love our neighbors who disagree with us politically? Because we're still a little bit high in the clouds, just theory. And so for the next, uh, for our last few minutes, I want to just get real practical. Like how, how can we find a way forward when, like, you're really thinking, man, I should move because I can't stand my neighbor because they're politics. Um, how can we resemble Christ? How can we love our neighbor? So this, this is the first, first thing that I think we can do. And, and these all have to do particularly with politics, I, f- I feel like, but are good in all of life. The first, be a student, not a critic. Be a student, not a critic. Um, students learn something. If you get so amped that you can't learn something, that is a you problem. That's not a political problem. That's a you problem. Um, and I especially find myself like, getting amped up with people um, who hold views that I once held. Like, but uh, for whatever reason, I've changed my view. And, and so like, the people I get upset with most were people that I agreed with like two, two weeks ago. <laughs> I don't know, maybe that's, maybe that's just me. But, and so for me, I need to be a student and not a critic in those situations. And for some of you, this is going to be easy. For others, you need to put this on your bathroom mirror, be a student, not a critic. You need to put this on your rearview mirror in the car. You need to put this on, on the uh, refrigerator. Like you need to be watching and getting this in, in your mind. And so be a student, do some research. And, and reading headlines does not count as research, okay? Um, like, I get all my news from the skits on Saturday Night Live. That's the extent. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, that is not where. Uh, but uh, I I'm, have a bit jaded view of politics. I think for a lot of us, we probably do. Like, just because of the rhetoric, and it's not healthy. And so, we, like, when I think of Washington, D.C., and the folks in D.C., I have a pretty low opinion. 
Um, and, and I think Jesus needs to work on me. And I'm not going to do, I'm not going to make, I don't even know if they care about me, the folks in Washington, right? There's so much money changing hands. But what I can do is something here in the neighborhood, in our city. I can begin to pray for our local politicians. And even Denver's a pretty big, big city, so you might not be able to sit down with the mayor. But what about our councilman? Councilman uh, Chris Herndon, his, he's got an open office right up here in uh, Mount Bello, um, and he's been, been pretty open. What about getting to know uh, the principals in the, in the neighborhood, people who have agency? What about uh, Jason, who runs the, the Boys and Girls Club? What, and most neighborhoods in Denver have registered neighborhood organizations, and some are more active than others. Uh, there's one here in Northeast Park Hill that meets here, the second or third third. Thursday night, Greater Park Hill has one. I'm sure the other neighborhoods have them. Like getting, just getting involved and, and being present, learning, learning something. Uh, you're like, Matthew, this takes time. Well, here's what you do. You take a withdrawal from the bottomless pit of social media on the time and put it into something productive, okay? Uh, be a student, not a critic. Second, be curious and listen. Now, this is kind of the same way, a different way of saying the same thing. Be curious and listen. James 1.19 it says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Like genuinely curious. Ask questions. Like if someone has a different opinion, if you'll wait more than uh, 30 seconds before you cast them out, <laughs> ask them what led you to that view. Like, and usually there's a story, there's, there's some background, there's a discussion. Um, and when you hear someone's story, it's difficult to continue not liking the person. Like, it brings, it brings understanding for us. Uh, so uh, how, how did you come to that position? Have you always held that position? Was there a time when you thought differently? What changed? So ask, ask questions. Asking questions is a tangible way of loving your neighbor. It is a tangible way. And if, if God is infinitely wise, which we believe he is, then Christians should be free to be curious and to explore and not be afraid of of a different opinion, of what someone else is saying, of winning the argument. So we're, we're curious. We find some, something out. A third way that we can love our neighbor is find common ground. We're so suspicious. Like, I'm suspicious. Uh, most, most mornings I, uh, I check the headlines on CNN and Fox News, and by the time I'm done, I'm, like, I'm schizophrenic. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know what's hap- just happened to me. Um, and so, but we have to find common ground because we're, we're so prone to poison, to poison the conversation when Christ has called us to bring healing to our city, to our neighbors in this dialogue. And so finding some, some common ground, and I have a coworker who we are just on the opposite ends of the political spectrum when it comes to like how we vote. But when we stop to think about what we both want, and what we, we both value, like we value other coworkers who work hard, like that's something we can agree on. In fact, we, we've become good friends over the years, and I, I feel like I have a better uh, relationship and rapport with her than I have with some of my colleagues who vote like I do, right? Uh, j- just because we've, we've found some common ground, like we both want our same things for our kids and opportunities, and, and so we, we work together just fine. And sometimes we have those conversations, and you probably have the person, too, in your life. You're like, well, if everybody just acted like we did, it would be all right. It would be all right. So find, find some common ground. Um, share meals together. 
We've said that before. Like, it's so important, sharing meals together. That's because it's, it's easy to complain about the state of politics in our country. Like, that's cheap and easy. But engaging in a community where there might be people who believe differently about politics, that takes hard work. It, it takes hard work to come under our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has things to say about how we live our lives. Like both sides of the aisle, it, it, takes, it takes hard work. And so we find common ground. Uh, just a couple more. Validate values. Validate values. A- along the way, you might discover that our differences are more differences, like I mentioned before, of, of strategy and not uh, principle or value, or maybe just levels of. Like, for some people, safety is a real concern. Uh, for others, it's, it's opportunities. And, and maybe it's not that you're so far apart, but maybe it's, you know, you've got one and two, three in this order, and they've switched them and have them in a different order. But we have similar values at the core a lot of times. We, have, we won't stop to listen. And so when we do recognize something that we agree on, we should validate it. Like, yeah, we're, yeah we got that. We're on the same page on that. Um, validate values. Uh, finally, share your truth, not the truth. This is what I'm talking about when it comes to, to politics. And this, this works, too, in relationships <laughs> in a whole lot of ways. Um, and this is where we remember humility. And if, um, and if we truly believe ourselves to be sinners who are saved by grace, we'll be the first to admit that we may be wrong. Like, my whole sermon today may be wrong, right? Like, politics, don't do that anymore, Matthew. Okay. Um, but if we listen carefully as we walk with humility, we'll accuse rarely. If we listen carefully, we'll accuse rarely. And, and we've got to stop making, here's an, an ultimate statement about ultimate statements. We've got to stop making statements like, uh, the fact is, as everyone knows, no, you, you know. <laughs> like, that's your fact. Um, but changing, ch- just changing our tone of how we talk to one another. Like, I've looked at the facts. I believe this. Or I've, I've concluded. And this is the, the second final, final thing that we need is to pray. First uh, Timothy says, I urge you, first of all, that petitions, prayers, and intercessions, thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings, presidents, governors, mayors, and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in a godless, in all godliness and holiness. We need to pray for our leaders. Like I, whether you agree with the leader or not, like pray for godly wisdom for our leaders. Pray, pray for our country. Pray that this Tuesday, regardless of the outcome, that whoever elected would have wisdom in fulfilling the office that they've been elected to. Amen. Pray, pray that we would represent Christ well in our dialogues with people, in our discourse with people, that we would be able to point to a different way. And so let me encourage you this, this week to go ahead and engage in political conversation. Have strong uh, opinions and, and research and get, get the facts. Like, like, yes, do that, but do it with humility. Our, our nation needs us to, to point a different way, to an alternate way, to be a city on a hill, to be salt and light, to put people before politics. Amen?
And then one, one final scripture I want to leave you with. Psalm 97 says, The Lord reigns. Let the earth be glad. Let the nation, uh, the distant shores rejoice. Other versions say, let the nations rejoice. No matter what happens on Tuesday, remember that the Lord reigns. The Lord reigns. And, and, and both sides right now, are they're dry, using fear to drive your emotions. Like if, if the Republicans, if they stay in power, I mean, we will lose every social program. So, I mean, that's, that's what Democrats say. Democrats on their side, uh, or the Republicans would say, if the Democrats get in the office, like our nation is lost. Like they just throw out these crazy statements to instill fear in us. And, and we have to remember Psalm 97, that it's the Lord reigns. The people that we elect on Tuesday, they, they're going to be in office for a couple years, maybe. They're, and they have a, a flawed plan, whichever side it's a flawed, it's not a perfect plan, and it's not absolute, it's not worldwide, but when it says the Lord reigns, that's a political term. It's a, a, a word that describes a king exercising dominion over his, his subjects, and, and so our, our God and our king reigns. The Lord reigns. Let the earth be glad. Let the distant shores rejoice, and so do not fear. Do not fear fear. If your party is wiped out on Tuesday and you lose all power, political party or political power, do not fear. Our hope is not in our political party. Our hope is in our Savior, the Lord reigns. And so in just a moment, we're going to take communion. And uh, as we take communion, one of the things that we do in communion is we recognize the body of Christ. We don't just, I mean, recall what Christ has done for us on the cross. We also recognize that we are the body of Christ, a body that is oftentimes broken, but is being healed through the cross of Jesus Christ.